podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for tuning in. On today's episode, we'll cover the latest news around Europe, Serie A, and Napoli. In part 2, we'll do another transfer talk, and today we'll focus on Fauzi Gulam. And in part three, we have another player profile for you. This time, we're going to take a look at Stanislav Lobotka. So let's start in Europe. The English Premier League has received the green light to resume on June 1st. The Independent is reporting that the EPL will adopt the same protocols as the Bundesliga. Three EPL clubs are opposed to restarting. Those clubs are Aston Villa, Watford, and Brighton. Now, Aston Villa are in 19th place and Watford are in 17th place, so they're kind of like the Brescias of the EPL, trying to avoid relegation while hiding behind a veil of public safety. And Brighton are in 15th place, but they have had three players test positive for COVID-19, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In Portugal, eight players and two staff have tested positive for COVID-19, including one at Benfica, three at Vitoria Grimores, five at Famalicão, and one at Moreense. Nonetheless, the Primera Liga will play its first match on June 4th. The Portuguese Football Federation has also disclosed the health standards, which is the same as in the Bundesliga, so if a player tests positive, his colleagues will not be forced to quarantine. Elsewhere in Europe, the Czech Republic and Austrian football leagues are also set to resume. And in Spain, Barcelona midfielder Artur has already violated one of the health protocols, which is that players must use the same vehicle to go to the training sessions every day, and Artur switched vehicles. So this is just a reminder that the players have a large role to play to make all of this work, and I'll call this one an innocent mistake, but most of these players are still young adults, and some of them are still a bit immature. We spoke previously about Moise Kane. So at the end of the day, though, if players are not going to be disciplined, then this whole thing is going to come crashing down. Finally, according to the Times, UEFA is considering shortening the qualifying rounds of next season's Champions League and Europa League, and at the worst case, they may even cancel those rounds altogether, depending on the situations in the respective domestic leagues. Moving on to Serie A. We finally saw some progress today when the Italian government confirmed that group training can resume on May 18th. What was interesting though was that Spadafora gave the green light after receiving a letter from Gravina stating that the FIGC has accepted all of the recommendations of the government's technical and scientific committee. And we know that one of the main points of contention was how to deal with a positive case after group training resumes and that the government wants the entire squad to self-quarantine for 14 days, so presumably the FIGC has accepted this requirement. So that's group training. The next thing to figure out is the start of the match days. On May 20th, Gravina will host a federal council to develop the specific protocols for the matches themselves. 
Meanwhile, Lega Calcio voted on the date that Serie A should restart, and the two options they were considering were June 13th and June 20th, and the majority voted for the 13th, which was likely to build in some resiliency. Both of these dates provide enough time to complete the 12 remaining match days, plus the four additional matches that will still need to be made up, and it also leaves enough time to complete the Coppa Italia, and there's even a possibility of playing the Coppa Italia semi-final return legs on June 10th before Serie A resumes, which would add a little bit of buffer. Now it's great that the clubs have agreed to the date Serie A will resume, but nothing will happen until the government approves that date, and we won't know that for a little bit. The government wants to continue to monitor the contagion curve over the next few days before they deliberate on the resumption of Serie A. After they deliberate, there will be a meeting between Gravina, Spadafora, and Prime Minister Conte himself, but as far as I can tell, the date for that meeting has not yet been set. Another issue that remains unresolved is broadcasting rights. There is a split amongst the Serie A presidents on how to deal with this. Lazio and Napoli presidents, Lotito and De Laurentiis, want to hold firm on the payments, while Inter and Juventus presidents Marotta and Agnelli want to work with the broadcasters so as not to compromise the future of the contract. And it looks like Lotito and De Laurentiis, who are arguably the two most stubborn presidents in all of Serie A, are going to get their way again. Moving on, it's been a really difficult year for Atalanta and the city of Bergamo. We know that the city was one of the most devastated cities in all of Italy, with COVID-19, and on Monday, Atalanta got some more sad news as their youth player Andrea Rinaldi, who was on loan to Legnano in Serie D, passed away from a brain aneurysm at the age of 19, and we send our deepest condolences to the Rinaldi family. Finally, Cagliari's players have agreed to waive their April salaries, which will help to pay for their staff. So they now join Juventus, Roma, and Parma, whose players have already agreed to wage cuts. These clubs have foregone four months of salary, and that's actually a good segue into the Napoli news. The Italian papers are reporting that De Laurentiis has contacted Lorenzo Insigne, and that the current offers for the players to forego their March salary, get paid for April, and then May and June would be deferred until next year. Last time we spoke about this, the offer was a pay cut of one and a half months, then the players would get paid for the next one and a half months, and the fourth month would be deferred. So this is a slightly better deal for the players. And I think after Cagliari accepted their one month pay cut, and they're a much smaller club, then so should Napoli. In other news, Napoli's Curva A have taken a stance against the resumption of football. Obviously, for the Ultras, this club is their livelihood, which COVID-19 has taken away from them, and not being able to attend matches for the foreseeable future is bad enough as it is, but I think what's really pushed them over the edge is that they may have to pay to watch these matches on TV, so they're pleading to fans to cancel their TV subscriptions and turn their TVs off. Juventus captain Giorgio Chiellini has stirred up quite a bit of controversy with the comments he's made about former teammates Mario Balotelli and Felipe Melo, which will be in his new autobiography. I'm not going to get into that because this is a Napoli podcast, not a Juventus podcast. But apparently there's an excerpt in the book about Caladu Koulibaly's own goal against Juventus in their 4-3 loss earlier this season. Kellini talked about how Koulibaly had texted him good luck the night before the match. We all know what happened in the match and after the match, which Kellini did not play in because of an injury, 
The cameras caught Kilini and Koulibaly sharing a quick embrace, and in the book, Kilini reveals that the look on Koulibaly's face melted him and he just had to say something, so he managed to get to the player on his crutches and said to him, you are the best, everyone makes mistakes, just keep working as you normally do and everything will pass. And I thought that was a pretty cool story when you consider the rivalry between the clubs, but that these players nonetheless have a lot of respect for each other. A few quick transfer updates for you. Piotr Zelinski is very close to renewing his contract. Calcio Mercato reports that the renewal will be four years with an option for a fifth year, and that Zelinski's salary will double from its current 2 million euros a year to 4 million euros a year. The bio clause is the final piece to be negotiated, and Napoli are reportedly wanting to set that at 100 million euros. Meanwhile, Sky Sport is reporting that Napoli have given Adek Milik until June 1st to decide if he will renew. The claim is that after that, he will be put on the market. And if Napoli do sell Milik, then it seems that Zenit's Sardur Azmoun is their number one target to replace him. Apparently, Zenit are asking for 30 million euros and Napoli are willing to pay 20. Finally, Napoli are using drones to record their training sessions so they can demonstrate that they have respected the safety protocols. So if you want to watch your favorite players in action, you can check out the club's official Instagram page. And speaking of training, today we learned that Costas Manolas had to stop training because of a muscle problem, which we hope is not too serious. He will undergo further tests tomorrow, so we'll keep an eye on that situation. And hopefully this is not a sign of things to come with players returning to training after being off for a few months. So that's it for the news. In part two, we'll do some transfer talk. Okay, so today's transfer talk is on Fauzi Gulam, who hasn't been in the news too much lately, but there was some buzz around him in early to mid-April. He's currently under contract with Napoli until 2022, and the last few years have been pretty rough for him. He missed 14 matches last season with a knee injury, and he's missed most of this season with a muscle injury. At the moment, it looks like Mario Rui will be the starting left back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will be the starting right back for the foreseeable future. Napoli also have Kevin Malqui, who looked very good before he got hurt. Malqui plays right back, but I can see him backing up both Di Lorenzo and Rui. We also have Elsie Cusai, but just last week his agent, Mario Giuffredi, who also happens to be the agent for Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo, told Radio Kiss Kiss that Napoli have been informed that Cusai will not renew his contract, which expires in 2021. Now, I personally would hate to see Gulam go for two reasons. The first is not football related, it's more because he seems like a genuinely decent person, which is the type of player that you want in the change room. Even if they don't play much, they tend to be the glue that keeps the team together. Just last week there was a story in the news about Gulam going out in the streets to supply people in need with food and other basic necessities. Second, you'd love to see what he can do if he gets healthy. Before the injury he was considered one of the top defenders in Europe, 
He is 29 years old now, so his value is not going to go back up to what it once was. But as you'll see when I get to the possible replacements, fullbacks are in high demand, so that may help with his value, though you're still going to pay a premium for his replacement. That said, I do think Gulam's time with Napoli has come to an end. So with Kusai on his way out and Gulam probably leaving as well, the left and right back positions are definitely in need of reinforcement. So let's go through some of the possible replacements, and there are a number of them. One option is PSG's Levin Kruzawa. The 27-year-old's contract is coming to an end at the end of this season, which I suppose has already happened given that Ligue 1 has been cancelled. So presumably on July 1st, he will become available as a free transfer, but he will be difficult to sign given the competition with Arsenal and Inter, who, by the way, seem to be linked to just about every other available player out there. Kurzawa was previously linked to Liverpool and Barcelona, but they seem to have pulled out. And recent reports suggest that he's been offered to Juventus, Manchester United, and Newcastle as well. And everyone seems to be trying to get a piece of that Saudi money these days. He will also be very expensive. The defender is reportedly seeking a five-year contract, which would take him to the age of 32, and an annual salary of 6 million euros. Now that's steep even for Napoli's starting fullbacks. I fully expect Di Lorenzo to be extended, so unless Napoli decide to move on from Mario Rui, who I actually think will be extended as well, I think Napoli are going to pass on Kurzawa. Another person we've heard in the news is Chelsea's Emerson Palmieri, which is similar in that Inter are also interested for him. Gazzetta has reported that Conte has asked to bring Emerson in, and Conte usually gets his way. Juventus is also interested in him. The 25-year-old is looking for a 5-year contract at around 3 million euros a year, so the salary is affordable. The problem is Chelsea are reportedly looking to get 40 million euros on the transfer fee for the defender. So for me, that's a non-starter for Napoli. I don't think they want to spend 40 to 50% of the Koulibaly sale on a fullback. It might be different if this was a glaring weakness, but with Di Lorenzo, Rui, and Malqui, I think we're in decent shape at that position. Another option is Greek international and Olympiakos defender Kostas Tsimikas, who would actually be a nice fit alongside his fellow countryman Kostas Manolas. Tsimikas just turned 24 this week. He is on the radar of a number of Italian clubs, including Inter, of course, Lazio, who's looking for someone to succeed the aging Senna Lulic, and Torino. Galatasaray, Lokomotiv Moscow, and Leicester City are also interested, and the expected price tag for the Greek is 24 million euros which is less than Palmieri, but still a bit on the high end for what would be a substitute defender. The player I would love to see Napoli go after is Legia Warsaw's Mikhail Karbaunik. For me, replacing Gulam is similar in a way to replacing Koulibaly, and I'm not suggesting in any way that those two are even remotely similar in quality. The similarity is that, just like at centre-back, Napoli already have starting players on the squad to play left and right back. So in those cases, my preference is to bring in young talent who you can usually get at lower prices and develop them to eventually replace the current starters. And Carbonic fits that profile. He's 19 years old and he's expected to cost around 9 million euros. But like all the defenders we've talked about, there's competition. Barcelona appears to be the biggest obstacle. They're looking for a replacement for Jordi Alba. Real Madrid and a few other Spanish squads are also interested as well. In England, Tottenham is reportedly willing to overpay for the defender, and I've seen the number £11 million thrown around. Finally, Celtic, Dinamo Moscow, and PSV were interested, 
but Carbonic's agent recently suggested that the youngster is looking for a move to a top 5 league, which rules these clubs out. Speaking of Barcelona, they could be selling Junior Firpo, who is Jordi Alba's current understudy, and they're asking prices 25 million euros. Roma appear to be the frontrunners for Junior, and they have a good relationship with Barcelona after the Carlos Perez deal. And recent reports suggest that Barcelona are looking to offload Junior because they may exercise their right to re-sign Hitafe's Mark Cucurella. Now, Cucurella was another name on the list, but last episode we talked about the spat between Hitafe's president Angel Torres and Napoli's official Twitter page. So I think it's safe to say that Napoli are no longer interested in doing business with Hetafe. Finally, another player I really like is Atalanta's Timothy Castagne. He's 24 years old and is already in a backup role at Atalanta, playing behind Robin Gosens and Hans Hattabor. Inter, Roma, and Milan are also interested. Apparently Tottenham are in advanced talks with the defender as well. We know that Atalanta paid £5 million for Castagna and reportedly rejected an offer of £8 million from Celtic. Corriere di Bergamo reported that Napoli are willing to pay £17.5 million, which is about €20 million. So to summarize, I think Napoli will sell Gulam, and I'm hoping his replacement is Legia Warsaw's Mikhail Karbaunik or Atalanta's Timothy Castagne. That's going to do it for part two. In part three, we'll do another player profile. player profiles on Slovakian midfielder Stanislav Lobotka. Before I get into the profile, I do want to give credit to Ramez Nathan, who wrote an excellent article for the Gentleman Ultra after Napoli signed Lobotka on January 15th. This article is entitled, This is my dream, how a vision became a reality for Stanislav Lobotka. And in the article, Nathan profiled Lobotka pretty much exactly how I do my player profiles. So I'm going to lean heavily on Nathan's article and inject a few more details from my own research as well as some of my own thoughts. So like most footballers, Laboka started playing with his hometown club, which in this case was TTS Trensen. He actually scored a beautiful goal as a child there, which I'll post on Twitter for you. In 2011, at only 16 years of age, Laboka was promoted from Trensen's U19 club to their senior squad in the Slovakian Football League, now called the Fortuna Liga. He didn't make his debut until March 4, 2012, coming in off the bench against Banska Bistrica. And that season, he only made five appearances, but the following year, he worked his way into the starting center midfielder position and made 31 appearances before moving to Holland. It's a big club in Holland. I, this is uh, my, uh, my son, and I was a small boy, but uh, now it's a uh, reality. That was Laboka talking about his move to Ajax's U21 squad in the Dutch 2nd Division. 
This is my sen has become a bit of a catchphrase for Loboka, which is a mix of English and Slovakian. The word sen is Slovakian for dream, and this expression has become so popular that Trenzin renamed its youth academy the This is my sen academy. After the one-year loan spell with Ajax, Loboka returned to Trenzin, where he would help his boyhood club win both the league title and the Slovakian Cup. Next, he spent two seasons playing in Denmark for FC Nordsjaland, where he made 61 appearances. Loboka joined the club on August 25th, and only five days later made his first appearance. Unfortunately, Nordsjaland lost that match 2-0 to Brunt. Disappointing result, but how was the day overall for you coming down here, saying hi to the other guys before the game, and now uh, yeah, you have played your first game for FC Nordsjaland. Uh, how is that? Yeah, it was good. It was very good uh, fans, very good uh, pitch. Very good uh, play, uh, player. That was that was good to play with him, and we play fast. But the result is 2-0. But that's, that's I, I don't have a good feeling. That it looked like you have played with them for a long time. Uh, how did you feel yourself? I think so also. But uh, we play uh, we played in the trench in the sand. That uh, was more easy for me play too. To midfield together, and, and uh, I think so. We play midfield. We play good. We keep the ball. We move it, and that's, uh, we can uh, we can go to fit in. That was Loboka after the match. Even though he fit in well with his new teammates, the competitive young midfielder was disappointed with the loss. Loboka played in all but one match after joining that season. He played the full 90 in 23 of those matches, and the other three matches he played 74 minutes, 89 minutes, and 85 minutes respectively. His second season was much of the same. Loboka missed only one match, during the championship round, but otherwise he played the full 90 in 34 out of 35 matches and played 71 minutes in the other match. It was during this season that Loboka really focused on moving up in the football world. Maybe when I came, I was like, okay, uh, I, I, I was professional. I think I was the professional because uh, I train every day, but uh, not training like here. Never train more after training and. Uh, I just say, okay, when I want to be professional, I must do everything for 100% if I'm uh, trained or if, I'm, uh, if I eat or something else. Both seasons, Laboka played at Nordstjaland. The club named him their Player of the Year. And in 2017, the midfielder got his first big break when Spanish club Celta Vigo paid 5 million euros to bring him over from Denmark, where he would play alongside the likes of Johnny, Daniel Was, Pione Sisto, Braze Mendez, Maxi Gomez, and Iago Aspas. Celta Vigo was coming off a strong season, having reached the semifinals in the Europa League. Of course, it was a really nice game too, too for us. We played really good. Everyone won 4-1 against the Roma. That's a really good team in Italy. That is, I think so. We play really good. and We must just keep the doing. And then we must prepare for the next game in the league. Of course, uh, everybody wants to play, but uh, for me it's too important to be here, to be with the team. And then... Uh, just be, just be honest. And then, there's uh, a lot of really good players here, and uh, I must just wait for my chance. And if I come, like uh, yesterday or next game, if I just come to play, then uh, I must show my, my, uh, my skills, and then help to team. I know it will be a really hard game because every game in La Liga is really hard. A few weeks ago, I play only, I play only on the PlayStation, or I play, I watch on the TV. This, uh, this team or. That was a press conference after Celta Vigo's final friendly in 2017 and looking ahead to their first match that season, which happened to be against Spanish giants Real Madrid.
That season, Celta finished in 13th place. Results improved slightly the following season, finishing in 10th, but so far in the 2019-2020 season, it has been a struggle. Before selling La Boca to Napoli, Celta were sitting in 18th place with 3 wins, 5 draws, and 10 losses. Before I talk about La Boca's skill set, I'll give you a quick summary of his time playing for the Slovakian national team. He made 33 appearances for Slovakia's U21 squad, including playing in the U21 European Championships. Despite winning two of their three matches in the group stage, Slovakia finished second to England and did not advance. He's also made 22 appearances for the senior team, where he's played with Inter's Martin Skriniar, Lazio's Denis Vavro, Parma's Juraj Kucera, and of course Napoli legend Matic Hamsik. Rashford ran into trouble. It's Lobotka. It's a lovely return ball, and it's a smashing goal for Slovakia on two and a half minutes. Stanislav Lobotka gave and went, received and finished. Well might the visitors celebrate. Gareth Southgate and England have problems. That was Lobotka scoring his first ever goal for the senior team in a 2018 World Cup qualifier against England, as you heard only two and a half minutes into the match. Finally, Slovakia are still alive in the European Championship. They're in Path B and are scheduled to play the Republic of Ireland, which is not an easy match. The winner of that match will play against the winner of Bosnia and Herzegovina and Northern Ireland, and the winner of Path B will be placed in Group E with Spain, Sweden, and Poland. Back to domestic play, even though Leboca has been with Napoli for a few months before football stopped, we didn't really get to see much of him. He played a total of 207 minutes over four matches, which is not a huge sample size, especially for a player at a new club. So let me tell you a bit about his skill set. Ramez Nathan put it well when he described Leboca's play at Celta Vigo and why the Slovakian was so coveted. He wrote, He impressed with his progressive dribbling skills, his ability to squeeze past opponents, the way he deconstructed the opposition's attacks, his control of the tempo of the game, and his pinpoint passes to his teammates. Nathan also quoted Alexandra Johnson of La Liga TV International. She said, I can say that he is a very smart player that is good on the ball and at keeping his position. He is often the guy to make the assist to the assist, great at short passing, but struggles a bit more in long passing. So aside from the long passing, these are all qualities you would expect from a very good holding midfielder. And I went back and watched the Sampdoria and the Lecce matches, and I noticed a few things myself. First, the ball seems to find him, and the reason for that is because he's very good at reading the play, which is related to what Johnson was saying about his high football IQ. His movement off the ball is just as impressive as his movement on it. He also takes advantage of his size. Nathan mentioned his ability to squeeze past opponents. Now, smaller players also have lower centers of gravity, so this combined with his ball control and the fact that he does not feel stressed are very important for the position he plays, especially for Gattuso who likes to play the ball out from the back. It's not uncommon for the Regista to receive a pass at the top of his own box while being pressured by the opponent's attackers. And I know highlight reels tend to make every player look like a star, but time and time again you see Laboca take one touch to control the ball, then either shake off the opposition by faking in one direction and then quickly cutting in the other direction, or by using his low center of gravity and his ball control skills to simply dribble around the opposition. Also, his passing ability should not be understated. Laboca finds narrow passing lanes that many do not, 
and his accuracy and confidence enable him to make those passes. Lavoka's former general manager at Trenton, Robert Ribnicek, had this to say about him. He is a team player. He won't be Napoli's best scorer like Hamsik because he has been playing as a half defender all his life. But I can say this. He has the same level of talent as Hamsik and he works as hard as Skriniar. Now that's a lot of praise for the Slovakian, which makes you wonder why Laboka is playing so much less than Diego Demme, even though he costs Napoli nearly double. The simple answer is that Demme has just played so well that unfortunately there hasn't been much opportunity for Lobotka, especially with Alain still in the lineup. I don't think that necessarily means that Napoli overpaid for Lobotka. If anything, Demme was a steal. Maybe we'll see more of Lobotka if and when the season resumes and with five substitutions, but I think we won't really see what he can do for this club until next year. By then, Alain will have likely moved on, which means Laboka will move up to second on the depth charts unless Napoli signed Tonali, but like I said last episode, I don't think that will happen. Also, next season he'll have plenty of opportunity to play in the Coppa Italia and hopefully in the Europa League. Don't forget, when Laboka joined Napoli, they had already advanced from the group stage of the Champions League and to the quarterfinals in the Coppa, so this season there wasn't much opportunity there either. The good thing is I don't hear anyone complaining about his play, so I think most Napoli tifosi are reserving judgment until Loboka has more time to play, which I think is the fair thing to do. So that's going to do it for episode 9. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating. If you have any questions or if you want me to focus on anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the pod at Forza Napoli Pod. You can also find my work at worldfootballindex.com. I look forward to chatting with you again, but until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Network.